What's up, guys? Welcome to this month's bonus episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. In a moment, you'll listen in on this month's Shoreline, which we believe will be helpful and applicable to your life as a teenager. We're so glad you're here. And without further delay, let's tune in. Hey, like I said during the announcements, my name is Will McElroy. I'm the Shoreline Men's Coordinator, and I'm so excited tonight to continue our series called A Fight for Your Mind. And tonight, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be in uh, the book of 1 Peter. It's a short book in the New Testament, just five chapters long. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. And while you're turning there and getting settled in, I want to start by telling you a story. And the story, it takes place my freshman year of college. I was 18 years old and I'm in my dorm room. It was probably 9 p.m. at night, a little little later in the evening. And me and my friend, Justin, we're hanging out. And Justin, he tells me that night that he has never been camping in his whole life. And he was a little older. He's probably 20 years old at the time. He said he'd never been camping. And look, I'm not the biggest outdoors, man. But I, I think that everyone needs to go camping at least one time in their life. And so I told Justin, I said, we, we're going to go camping tonight. And so we did that. We got some hammocks. I had a couple hammocks. We got some blankets and we went to, he's like, where should we go? And I was like, we'll just go to the state park. And so it was 9 PM and we head to the state park and, um, Look, Justin was a little more of a, a cautious type, which had served him well in his life. But as we get to the state park, like it's closed. Um, and he's like, oh man, like we shouldn't go in, right? I'm like, no, there's a, there was a gate and then there was a road that went around the gate. And I'm like, no, like they wouldn't put this road here if they didn't want us to just go around it. I was like, we'll, we'll pay in the morning, we'll be fine. And he's like, okay. And then we go in and we just park and we immediately just walk down this hill and set up our hammocks on a couple of trees. And Justin, again, is kind of nervous. He's like, man, are you sure we're supposed to be camping here? Like, this isn't a campsite, Will. This is just a couple of trees you found. And I said, man, we're good here, dude. I promise. They wouldn't, they wouldn't put these trees here if they wanted, didn't want us to camp right here. And so we string up the hammocks and we get settled in. And after about 30 minutes, I'm like, hey, we need to have a campfire, Justin. And he's like, dude, are you sure? Like, are you sure we're just allowed to start a fire? And I'm like, man, it is, it's in the name, camping, a campfire. You gotta have a campfire if you go camping. And I said, we'd be fine. And, and I was being careful. I kind of made like a little fire pit and there, we weren't in a burn ban, I knew that. And so we were good and we made a campfire. Everything's going well. Um, but then Justin's fears came true after about 30 minutes when we saw a couple flashlights bobbing through the woods towards us. And these two police officers, state park police officers, uh, they came to us and they were upset, you know, because we were breaking several laws at the time. We snuck into the state park. Uh, we camped where we weren't supposed to do, and we started a fire. And so they made us pack up and leave. And as we were leaving, uh, the officer came to me, just me, not Justin. And he said, oh, one more thing. Well, here's a ticket. And it was, it's, it was a type of ticket that was worse than a speeding ticket. It was actually a, some type of misdemeanor. And the result of it was that I would have to go to court. I'd have to go to court to talk to a judge or a lawyer and figure out what my punishment would be uh, because I broke all those rules. And that was on my record too. It now said started fire in a state park. Uh, So that's not something you want on your record. And so I went to court, 
And I talked to the judge and tell him everything I just told you. And, you know, I think he, he saw some of the humor in it and realized that I had good intentions. I wasn't trying to break the rules. He just knew I was being naive and um, an 18-year-old just making mistakes. And so he gave, he gave me a deal. The judge, he gave me a deal. And it's a deal that's called deferred deposition. Where basically deferred deposition is, I know most of you probably don't know what that is. I hope you never need to know what it is. But what it is, is the judge will say like, hey, if you can be good for a certain amount of time, all of it will go away. The fines will go away. Your record will be wiped clean. You won't have to do anything. Like, like all of it will go away. And so his deal with me is he said, Will, I'll give you a deal. If you can be good for 40 days, this will all go away. You won't have to deal with this being on your record. You won't have to pay the fine. You'll be good. And I was like, just 40 days? And I was like, he's like, yeah, no speeding tickets, no parking fines, just, just be good. I was like, that's easy. Like, I can make it 40 days. On the 40th day, and I'm not even kidding, it was the, the 40th day, I'm driving through a school zone. And it was a, I was going about 50 in, a, in what was now a 20 because of the school zone. And I get pulled over by Officer Brown. Officer Brown pulls me over. And I was on my way to Pine Cove for a, an interview to be a summer counselor. I was on my way to Pine Cove. And so he pulls me over. And you can imagine, like, I am pleading, like, Officer Brown, like, please. Like, I tell him everything. Like, we talk for 20 minutes. And I'm like, man, like, I just need to be good for one more day. Like, can you just change the date on the ticket till tomorrow? Or maybe even better, like, I'll come back next week. Like, we can swap phone numbers and set up a time for me to come speed again. And that way you can pull me over. I can be like, ah, oh, you got me. But like, I just cannot get this ticket today. Like, please. And I, I was pulling out all the cards. I was like, I'm a Christian. Like, I'm going to Pine Cove, Officer Brown. Like, please. And, and he was just doing his job. And he gave me a ticket on the 40th day. And so long story short, like everything was okay, but I had to go to more lawyers and the judge again and pay fines and pay fees and all these things. And it was so much more trouble than it would have been if I would have just stayed good for one more day. And the reason I tell you this story as we talk about the fight for your mind is because I remember calling my dad after I got pulled over. And my dad is a good dad, um, and he had every right to say this, but the first thing that he said was, what, what were you thinking? Like, what were you thinking, Will? And you probably know what my answer was. I, I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking. Like you would, you would think, you would imagine like, man, if you were in that situation that for those 40 days that you would always be thinking, like when you're driving, two hands on the steering wheel, like phone is set aside, like you would cue up all the songs so you don't even have to be on your phone and be distracted. Like you would be thinking, you would be focused. But I like just told my dad, like I wasn't thinking and I got pulled over. And so the reason I tell you that story is because I think that story is analogous to a a lot of my life and a lot of your life where you just kind of go through the motions of life and you're just not thinking. You're not thinking about the consequences that your actions will have, not just for tomorrow or next week, but for eternity. And so my goal tonight is to get you to try to think. 
And the reason I want to get you to try to think is because there is a war happening in your mind. And if you just go through the motions without thinking, you are going to lose that fight every single time. And the reason that's so important is because this is what I would say. The reason that's so important is because I think that most of your mistakes in life start when you lose the battle for your mind. Most of your mistakes in life start when you lose the battle for your mind. And I don't mean most of your troubles in life, because I know that if you get sick, I, you know, we can't blame that on our mind necessarily. Or if, if, if bad circumstances happen, those aren't necessarily your mind. But think about like your problems that you caused. Like look at my story again, like the, the, the state park. That was, that was all me. That started in my mind of me not thinking. The speeding ticket, that started in my mind because I wasn't thinking. Most of your mistakes in life will start when you lose the battle for your mind. So that's why it's so important to think. And specifically tonight, I want to show you how the Bible would tell us to think. How Peter, as we look at First Peter, how he would teach us how to think. And there's a word here that he uses three times in the book of uh, First Peter. It's called sober-minded, being sober-minded. So we're going to look at that word, and we're going to see how that word will show us how, how to think, how to think about things that matter. And so here's the three questions we're going to ask as we look at First Peter. Is the first question is going to be, uh, what does it mean to be sober-minded? Because I don't know about you, but sober-mindedness is not a word that's a part of my everyday category. And so I know some of you could probably guess what it means, but I want to give you a definition on how I think Peter would have defined sober-mindedness. And then the next question I'm going to ask is, well, why? Why should we be sober-minded? Spoiler alert, it, it can be hard to be sober-minded. So I want to show you why I think it's worth it for you to try to be sober-minded. And then the last question is just how, should, how, how do we become sober-minded? You know, we're going to look at the what, the why, and then I'm going to teach you how I think you can be, uh, become someone who's sober-minded. Uh, and so... We'll do this. We'll start with the first question. Just what does it mean to be sober-minded? What does it mean to be sober-minded? Here's the answer. Being sober-minded means living with a focus on eternity. Being sober-minded means living with a focus on eternity. Look, I think... And I'll show you in a second where, this, where I got this definition from the first verse. But I, I think that uh, so, so many of us, like, how about this? Like, do you, do you think about what you think about? Do you think about what you think about? Like, what, what goes through your mind? Like, when you first wake up in the morning, uh, where does your mind race through? What types of thoughts do you have? Are they, like, anxious thoughts? Or are they thoughts, like, about the just worldly thoughts? Are they stressful thoughts? Or are they just thoughts that about are here and now? Are you thinking about things that matter? Are you thinking about things that will matter for eternity? Because look, Paul, I think he's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. This is where the first uh, reference of sober-minded comes from. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, which by the way, the first 12 verses, uh, Peter, he talked, he basically laid out the gospel and talked about how we have a living hope in Christ uh, because of Christ's resurrection. And so he says, therefore, because of all that, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, 
set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, be sober-minded and be sober-minded in a way where you are setting your hope fully on what? On the revelation of Jesus Christ, on that day when you will be with Christ again, whether that's in heaven or whether that's when uh, Jesus comes back to this earth. So he's saying, set your mind fully on things that matter for eternity. So what does it mean to be sober-minded? Being sober-minded means living with a focus on eternity. Do you focus on eternity? Is that something that matters to you? Think back to the last month. Can you think, think about your conversations this last month? Think about your thought life over the last month? How often have you thought about eternity? How often have you had conversations about what will happen after we die? What's your purpose here on earth? And look, I'm not saying that to be sober-minded means that you can't have fun or you can't joke or uh, you can't be on social media or you can't be distracted or like, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what this message is about. But this message, what it is about is that, man, our lives should be lived in a way where our focus is in eternity and our thoughts and our actions reflect uh, the fact that we know, if you're a believer, where you're going to end up which is eternity, and that you are thinking clearly, that you are undistracted from worldly things and just able to think clearly about things that will matter for eternity. And so what does it mean to be sober-minded? Being sober-minded, according to Peter, means living with a focus on eternity. And so number two, that's question number one. Question number two is, well, why should we be sober-minded? Why should we be sober-minded? Because like I said, I, I would imagine... It's true for me, I'd imagine it's true for you that it is oftentimes easier to just not think about God, to not think about eternity, to not think about uh, prayer or reading your Bible or things that will matter for eternity. A lot of times it's just easier to think about uh, the present and worldly things and things that matter to us in this moment. So why why should you be sober-minded? Well, there's two, two answers to this question. And the first answer is this. We should be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. We should be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, and this is where I got that answer. It said, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So we should be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't struggle. If you think about the Christian disciplines, like what are some of the Christian disciplines? Well, one of them is uh, spending time in God's word. Another one is worshiping. Another one's like community. Like there's several just like disciplines of the faith that we would call. And I, I have a fairly easy time uh, serving. Like I have a fairly easy time waking up and reading my Bible. I have a relatively easy time going to community and spending time with other believers. What's difficult for me is praying. Like just imagine. Like, what if I told you, like, hey, go to, um, I'm going to go, go into this room without your phone, without your Bible, without anything, and just pray for 30 minutes. 
Would that be hard for you? Because it would be hard for me. And I think the reason it would be hard for me is because it is hard for me to be sober-minded. Like as soon as I start praying, my mind gets distracted. My mind starts racing to other things. And it is hard for me to focus, just to close my eyes and focus on things that will matter for eternity. And one of the reasons it's so hard is because of this. Here's my screen time for the week, a picture of it uh, coming up here. And look, I don't, I don't know what yours is, but uh, man, mine is anywhere from four to six hours a week probably. And yours may be higher, it may be lower. Um, and again, I, I said, I don't want this message to be a message about why you should delete social media and all those things. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. But I, like you, have lived in a world where as soon as I got to fifth grade, middle school, Everyone had a phone. Like that's just something everyone gets. And, and it is like immediately in the morning, like I know I shouldn't, but my like mind just goes to pick up my phone and like start answering my texts and scrolling on social media just cause that's the easiest thing to do. And then when I go to pray, it's just like, oh man, like I wanna check my, I wanna check my fantasy team scores, you know? See if I got the waiver wire big of, or check social media, or check this, or that, or this, or that. And, and my mind, it's just so hard for me to focus. Because we live in a world where being unfocused is the common thing to do. And here's what I would say, that if you are not sober-minded, that if you are not sober-minded, that if you are being distracted, whether it's by your phone or by something else, you will not pray. And the reason that's so important is if you're a Christian, then, then I think you would know that when you pray, things happen. Look at James 5, 16 for me, with me. It says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so I want to be someone who is sober-minded so that I can pray because God's word promises us that uh, the, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Obviously, it may not work exactly to our plan, but it is a promise that prayer works. That prayer works. And so I want to be someone who's sober-minded so that I can pray. That was the first answer to why should we be sober-minded. The second answer is this. Why should you be sober-minded? Not just for the sake of your prayers, but also we should be sober-minded because the enemy wants to deceive us. We should be sober-minded because the enemy wants to deceive us. The Bible, I'm about to read another verse in 1 Peter, but the Bible elsewhere, it says that the enemy, he's the father of lies, that there are people uh, who, by Satan, will be deceived, who will become deceived. Look at 1 Peter 5, 8. There's another verse. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So why should we be sober-minded? We should be sober-minded because the enemy wants to deceive us. And Paul, or Peter right here is saying, our, our one way, one of our ways to to stand firm here is uh, to be sober-minded, to be watchful. And look, I think in my life, I've seen the enemy uh, distract me or, uh, or pull me aside in two different ways. One is through temptation. And you all know what temptation looks like. 
right? You all know when to recognize temptation. Like I feel like oftentimes temptation is pretty obvious. Like, man, I know that if I start clicking on these Instagram profiles that uh, eventually I'm gonna be tempted to fall back into uh, lust and it won't end well for me. Or maybe it's like, man, I remember being on the bus ride to different games and I remember being tempted uh, to gossip because I would hear someone in the seat next to me or behind me talking about someone. I just wanted to jump into that conversation and say my side of the story. And I knew that was wrong, but I was being tempted to do so. So temptation is oftentimes very obvious to us. So that's one way that I think the devil uh, pulls us aside is he just throws us things that we want and, and tempts us with it. And sometimes you, you do fall into that. But then there's another way too, and it's deception. And as I was reading 1 Peter 5, and as he uses that language, as Peter uses that language of the devil prowls around, I started thinking about how the devil is a deceiver and how this is how deception is different and oftentimes more dangerous than temptation. And it's because of this. You do not know when you are being deceived. That's the definition of deception is you don't know it's happening. That you tell yourself the same lie over and over again until you start to believe it and you become deceived. And I can tell you this, that there are probably areas in my life that I am being deceived and I just don't know it. And so it has become a prayer of mine that God, let me be sober-minded, help me be sober-minded so that way I can see where I am being deceived. Look, there's a video I have up here. I think that I, I I was just reading this this verse and thinking about the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. I was just thinking about how, how lions attack. And I mean, y'all have seen the videos on Animal Planet. Like they don't, they don't like get up all up in your face, you know, all at once in front of the gazelle's face. No, they prowl, they deceive. Like look at this video we have, like just to remind you guys. Like you see how the, I mean, the lion is just lurking right there. And this zebra, he, I think it's a he, it might be a her, but that zebra doesn't, he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it, and it's right there. But that zebra, it's not being sober-minded. It's not being watchful. It is being deceived. And you are just thinking like, man, if you would just turn around, if you would just watch out, if you would just be sober-minded, you would see that you are about to die. Like, look, there it is right there, just right before him, hiding. Spoiler the zebra just dies. It gets destroyed. I didn't show it, but it dies. But the, the reason I show that to you is because when you're watching those videos, when, when you see, like, if you grew up like, watching Animal Planet, like, you just want to shout out, like, watch out. Like, little zebra, watch out. Look behind you. There's a lion, and it's going to eat you. And in the same way, I think Peter is telling you and me, like, watch out, be sober-minded, be sober-minded, like, look around, because there is an enemy who wants to deceive you, who wants to trick you, who wants you to fall. And if you are not being sober-minded, you will miss it. And my faith, my faith dies when I am not being sober-minded. And so does yours. 
So we talked about what does it mean to be sober-minded? Being sober-minded means living with eternity, living with a focus on eternity. Why should we be sober-minded? There's two answers to why we should be sober-minded. We should be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers, and we should be sober-minded because there's an enemy that wants to deceive us, and being sober-minded is one of our greatest tools to fight that. How do I become sober-minded then? That's the last question. I don't think you become sober-minded by just trying to become sober-minded. I don't think the answer to being sober-minded is just delete social media. Just pray more. Just read your Bible more. Those may be things that could help you become sober-minded, but I think there's a bigger picture here. That being sober-minded, the answer, how do I become sober-minded? You become sober-minded by fully hoping in Christ. You become sober-minded by setting your full hope, your full faith, and your life in Christ. You become sober-minded by making Christ the most important thing in your life. Go back to 1 Peter 13 with me. That's, that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you become sober-minded by setting how much of your hope in Christ? 20%, 50%, 80%? No, fully, 100%. Well, how do I do that? Well, well, it's really, you know, it's really simple. It's just the gospel. It's, uh, so Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Now, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's another verse. And those, the wages of those, the consequence of that sin is death. The consequence of that is that we, you and I both deserve, because of our sin, because we lie, we cheat, we steal, we lust, we deserve to live a life apart from God. We deserve to spend eternity apart from God, which is hell. But the good news is, in the second half of Romans 6.23, says, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free, gifted to, of, uh, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So the free gift of God is that Jesus the Son of God came down and lived the perfect life uh, for you and me, and that he died on the cross and was risen from the dead, and that he who knew no sin, that Jesus knew no sin, became sin on our behalf, so that whoever uh, would believe in him would have eternal life. And so how do you become sober-minded? Remember, sober-minded is thinking, living, believing, focusing on eternity, thinking about things that matter. And how do you become sober-minded? Well, you become sober-minded by knowing where you are going to spend eternity, and which is if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you will be saved. You will spend eternal life with Christ, and that can happen tonight. And that that alone is what will help you become sober-minded because then Christ will be your greatest joy. He will become your hope, your, your reason for just living, your purpose for living. I'm not saying it'll be easy for that to happen all the time, but that is a Christian's purpose, is to find their joy in Christ. And look, I, the reason that that will help you become sober-minded is because, man, you think about what you think about is what you love. We love the things we think about. 
And I want you, I want, one of my first questions is just, do you think about what you think about? That was a question I asked my first one was, do you think about what you think about? And I'll ask you tonight is how often, how often do you think about Christ? How often do you think about spending eternity with Christ? How often do you think about uh, when you die, you will meet Christ? How often do you think about that Christ is coming back? Look, I, uh, I've shared this with some of you guys before, but my wife and I, uh, when we dated, we, we were dating and engaged for about two years. And those, the first day that we lived in the same city together was the day we got married. And so we did long distance for those whole two years. And we would see each other about once a month on average. And you can imagine, like we were dating, again, long distance, it was four hours away. We got to see each other once a month on average. Uh, and you can just imagine, like we would count down the days until we could see each other again. Like I know that sounds cheesy, but like, man, it would be like, hey, only two more weeks, only five more days I'll see you. Like I'm so excited to see you tomorrow. And then we would just look forward to the next time we would see each other. And now... What if I, like, let's say at that time when I was dating, what if I came to you and I told you, like, you asked me, man, how's long distance doing, Will? And I was just like, ah, like, it's, it's doing good, except I don't look forward to seeing her. Like, I don't, I don't really care to see her again. Like, I don't really count down the days till I get to see her again. What would you tell me? You said, that's not much of a relationship, Will. Like, she did, she did that, that, maybe you should break up. And look, I think, here's another story I've used, is that, man, I think that so often I treat my relationship with Christ that way, where I just don't look forward, I don't count down the days until I'm gonna be with him. Like, imagine, just imagine, like, this is, again, crazy, maybe a little cheesy, but imagine if Jesus were to somehow text you tonight, and he says, like, hey, hey, Will, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna come back at 10 p.m. tonight, right after Shoreline, Sound good? And I, like, we would all answer, I hope the same thing of just being like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, bet, you know, see you soon. But if I'm being honest, like, there is a part of me, there is a part of Will who wishes that he could respond to a text like that and be like, hey, could you actually wait 50 years? Could you actually wait like decades? Because I, I want to have eternity with you, but I also want to experience the world. Like I want to, maybe you do. Maybe you're like, man, I'm looking forward to graduating and going to college and joining a fraternity or sorority and then getting a job and getting married and having kids and all of these things. And you want both. And I'm not saying those things are necessarily bad, but man, I do think that there is a problem in Will's heart. There is a part of Will's heart that is not sober-minded enough. It's not sober-minded in a way where there is still a part of me that just misses the full picture of eternity, that I, there's still a part of me that does not think and does not set my hope fully on Jesus Christ. I'm being with him again. So there's a part of me that is still like, I'm just like, man, I want that area to be sober-minded. I want my mind to become more sober-minded so that way I can just continue to be the man that God wants me to be by setting my hope fully on him. So as we close, um, let me just recap the points and then I'm gonna share one more thing. And here's the points again, is what does it mean to be sober-minded? It means 
This is to live with a focus on eternity. And why should we do that? Well, there was two reasons why we should do that. We should do that because, because of our prayers. You will not pray if you're not sober-minded. And prayer, the beautiful thing about prayer, it should not be our last line of defense, but it should be our first line of offense. That prayer is our greatest tool, and things happen when you pray. And then secondly, the reason why you should be sober-minded is because there's an enemy who's trying to deceive you, and being sober-minded, thinking clearly, is one of your only tools to fight that. And then lastly, how should you be sober-minded? You can be sober-minded tonight by setting your hope fully on Christ, by making him your Lord and Savior. And I want to tell you one last story um, about someone who set their hope fully on Jesus, and it's the guy that wrote this book. Peter, a lot of you grew up in the church and you know Peter's story. And I think what's really crazy is he is someone who, if you read uh, the Bible, you would not describe Peter as being sober-minded. In fact, he was the opposite. He was crazy. He, He just did whatever came to his mind. You know, there are stories about him where uh, he was walking on water uh, because because he would focus on Jesus and then he started drowning because he got anxious. And so again, he was just not focusing. There's another story where Peter, he says something so dumb that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He's like, I can't even look at you, Peter, because you're trying to distract me from what's important. There's another story where uh, Peter, he cuts off a dude's ear. Um, In fact, Peter, he even said one time, he was like, Jesus, I will never deny you. And then you all know what happens. He denied him three different times. But then what's crazy is something changed. Something changed in Peter's life. You see, I mean, again, Peter wasn't being sober-minded. After Jesus was died and buried, Peter went back to fishing, his old job. Jesus called him to be a fisher of man. And then Peter, you know, after Jesus died, he was like, I give up on that. Like, I'm just going to go back to regular fishing. But then Jesus appeared to Peter again. Peter saw the resurrected Christ and something changed because uh, Peter, not, this is what happened after Peter. I just gave you what Peter's life was like when Jesus was around. Well, after Jesus was died and resurrected and after Peter saw that, Peter, uh, he wrote, first of all, he wrote a book that made it into a Bible. He founded the, one of the earliest churches in Rome. And then not only that, but he ended up getting crucified just like Jesus. And in fact, he said, you know what? Don't crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to die in the same way that my Savior did. And so he went from a guy that was not sober-minded at all to be, being the guy that wrote the main book on sober-mindedness. And that was only possible because he saw the miracle that was uh, the, the resurrected Jesus Christ and the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that changed Peter's life is now at work in anyone who believes in him. So how do you be sober-minded? Will you be like Peter? you be like Peter who he set his hope fully on Jesus Christ And he set his hope fully on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he set his hope fully on knowing that he was going to spend eternity with Christ. So let me pray that we would do that. God, I thank you uh, for First Peter. I thank you for this idea of sober-mindedness, that we live in a world that is confusing. We live in a world that is distracting. We live in a world that is 
fighting for our minds. And I pray that we can be like Peter, that we can be people who, yes, are fun and uh, just enjoy our time that we have here. But more importantly, that we can be people who uh, are able to think about things that matter and are able to live with the focus on eternity and that we're able to do that in a way that honors and glorifies you by setting our hope fully in you and making you our savior and the most important uh, thing in our life, God. So we love you and we need you. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Watermark Students podcast. For more information on Watermark Students, check out watermark.org students. We love you guys, and we hope you share this message and testimony with a friend, and we'll talk to you again next time.